Welcome to Rolling with the Punches, the first podcast dedicated to the mental health and well-being of painters and decorators in the UK. My name's John Mears and I am once again joined by the wonderful Sharon Norton Marshall, mental health first aider, certificate in MVC, non-violent communication, life coach, health and wellness expert and all-around top decorator. Right. How's that for an intro? <laughs> Oh my goodness, John. Uh, thank you so much. It's so great to be here as usual with you. Thank you. Um, yeah, what we want to talk about today is uh, something that has affected both of us quite personally. We've got um, personal stories about this. We want to talk about antidepressants. Yes, indeed. So I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, um, I think there's a, a lot to dive in and talk about around this. So Let's start with your story, Sharon. What's your personal experience with antidepressants? Mm, gosh, um, I I think my son must have been about three. Yeah, around about three or four. Um, and I just, I just found that, I, I mean, I'll cut a very long story short because actually I've had depression for a very, very long time. Um, and um, when my first marriage broke up and I was a single parent and I was I, just one morning I took my son to school and I realized that unless I, I I had to pull the car over or basically run myself off the road because I was that desperate for something I did I just didn't know where to put myself what to do I felt so incredibly low and so alone and so desperate for something um, but I just called the doctors. <laughs> it was one of those ones where I guess you know, some people might call Samaritans or whatever. But I just thought I just literally didn't know who to call. What's it? My mother's had depression for as long as I can remember. Um, and I just thought, well, I don't really have anyone to call. So I called the doctors and they must have just sensed it. It was a village doctor at the time, you know. So um, and they said, well, we can't see you right now. But we have an appointment later on this afternoon. Do you want to come in? And I was like, please. And I was literally crying down the phone at this woman. So thankfully, it was only a few minutes from my home. Um, and I was able to just go in there and have a chat. And they said, you know, I think you've got depression. Sorry, you've got dep depression. Um, we're going to put you on some tablets. Um, and I was just so grateful to have something that I could just try that yeah and I was literally I was on those for years years and years and years so yeah so how how long were you did it come on quite quickly or how long were you feeling like this before you got to that point the straw that broke the camel's back and, and you made that phone call I don't know really what it was that um got to the for it to be a point of overload but you know, I know a fair amount about it and how things can actually just, you know, it builds up in layers and layers and layers and layers and layers. Because uh, without going too deep into it, you know, as I've said before, depression is basically that you're suppressed by life. Um, so really, I'd got to a point where so many things I've taken on through my life, there's so much pain layers that I just felt I just couldn't cope anymore. And I think that my my ex-husband had moved on really quickly, new woman, and and whilst I wasn't worried about that necessarily, there was like fallout from that where he they were actually really I actually found a diary recently and, and I, I've actually written notes on they were actually really horrible to me and about me uh, to my son. So I think just so much during that time was changing. I'd moved into a new place, 
change of life, change of job, you know, single parent. And I think it just came from there, really. My resilience was so low. That's why I think I like to talk a lot about building resilience. I think that's where you know, it's really key that we build it. But at that point, I just didn't know where to go and what to do. And, I, and of course, then I didn't really have an opinion on antidepressants. I just knew I needed help desperately. Mm. Um, and I did do some talking therapy as well at that point. They'd sent me, they put me on a list to go and see a therapist. Um, I'd had some therapy myself. I'd, I'd gone to hypnotherapy and that kind of thing before, but it really didn't do anything. I didn't have any benefit at all, but that was kind of self-administered. I'd gone along myself, you know, and, and entered that therapy myself. I'd, I'd sourced a therapist or you know, did a couple of things like that. Um, and just really didn't get any benefit from it. So I was just grateful to be listened to at that point. And I was just willing to try it. So yeah. I did. And yeah, I was on it for absolutely ages. Before we talk about uh, what the pills did and, and how things moved on from there, could you describe what did that depression feel like in like everyday life? So if we try and make it so that if someone's worried about the way they're feeling, how would they they identify whether they're depressed or whether it's something else? Or is it something that you can put mm -hmm. into words like that? I find it very easy to describe, actually, because it's actually never far from me. I feel it a lot. And actually, it's a very conscious thought process, which has to become habitual to get out of it. So it's... Um, I, I call it a heaviness, you know, in your solar plexus, so that, that area between your rib cage. So cortisol is produced around that area of the body. So this is the, the kind of fright or flight kind of chemical in the body. Um, it's also it's the inducement of stress into the body. It's where you feel it the most. So I, I feel a heaviness around my chest. Um, and just in, in what I'd describe as an incredibly low mood, it's a general feeling of apathy. You know, I could happily lay down all day without any regret. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, would, I would be willing to sit in one place of contemplation for hours. And I have, you know, I have actually done that for a very, very long time throughout my life. I've spent hours and hours and hours either just sitting, looking out of my bedroom window when I was a teenager, or I think we've, one of our early podcasts has mentioned that I used to go and sit in the coal bunker and hide away from my family. You know, I used to sit for long periods of time. And I, and I actually, in, in all honesty, I have to kind of stop myself from doing that nowadays because now it's about breaking the patterns of behaviour that I, had been ingrained in me. But I know that comes from my mum. You know, my mum will literally stare into space for hours just staring at the carpet, <laughs> which is is um yeah just a general feeling of heaviness and um, somebody I, I came up with something which says you feel like you're attempting to walk up uh, Mount Everest in stilettos just everything <laughs> feels like it's an, a real effort you don't yeah. have the joy there's no sense of looking forward to anything you know but the upside is and I don't know where this comes from because this is something that I really want to bottle I'm not on, on antidepressants now but for some reason I've just from the things I've introduced in my life I seem to have this incredible um survival response to life where it's you know I can literally pick others up 
if I sense something, you know, somebody is struggling with something, I get the most unbelievable, overwhelming power and urge and drive to say if my son had been ill at any point, you know, if I realized he was throwing up or about to, even if I wasn't feeling great, I'd literally go into power mode and mm. I would literally just be a totally different person. And I'm still like that now. If people in my military fitness academy are starting to falter and they're losing their way, I'm like, come on, like this, you know, and I'll lift the whole group up. And they're like, where did that come from? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> just, I don't know what I thought that. It's amazing. I, I need to tap into that for other people because it's incredible. <laughs> I've seen, um, yeah, I mean, I've seen my partner Sharon she has this uh I always put it down to like this mum energy <laughs> I've seen her wake up at eight o'clock in the morning when she's just should not be getting out of bed just absolutely ill she could have flu one leg missing whatever but if she's got to get <laughs> up and sort the kids out she gets up and sorts the kids out and it's wow. just like and you're like That's amazing. and I just lie there thinking oh god I don't know how she does that but <laughs> I don't know where this power and energy comes from um Anyway, so you, you talked about, um, you mentioned cortisol. Yeah. Um, which, as I understand it, is linked to the sort of fight or flight yeah. uh, reaction that, that we have. So mm. did you find that when you're in that depressed state, was it like being in, like you'd been in that fight or flight mode for so long, you'd just completely drained yourself and, and that's all your energy had gone? Prospectively, um, yeah, it, it's not it's not a great effect on the body, you know, because it does, you know, it it, it stimulates like I think sugars through the body, so you you could be on a constant high until you just completely plateau. Um, I'm just you know, thinking that, that just time. Think, um, I'm just thinking that because obviously you were talking about all these layers that were building up and the different things that were going on in your life. It's like your body, you were just, you, you almost were in that sort of fight or flight, just constantly having to go at things. And then mm. there is going to always then be a point where your resilience wears down and you, you lose all that energy and you can slump into a depression. Do you think that's part of it? could well be because there have been times when I have uh, you know those moments sometimes you see in movies where you know people will put their hands up and not that I, I be believe in God as such but it'd be you know you, you know you'll you'll uh, see them going for God's sake like what is <laughs> I'm supposed, what am I here for and sometimes I'll be shouting as I'm driving and saying what am I doing here like what is my purpose like you know because you just think it can be perpetual where you yeah you're having to get up go to work or things aren't working out you know I lost my job several times as an estate agent through uh, constant uh, recession and you know fluctuations of of that with the job changes and things which is very very hard when I was a single mum and um, didn't quite know how to put bread on the table as it were for my son um I didn't really have any financial assistance because I did have some sort of earnings so I didn't get any um, government assistance, you know, I didn't get benefits or anything. So it was really high. I found the monetary thing very, very stressful. And so mm. I just I just got to the point where just I cannot, it's just everything seems such an effort. And I think, you know, we've, we've spoken about alcohol, you know, and I was drinking quite a lot at the same time as well, just to try and have some sort of escapism. 
So I think I just wanted something to come along and help me, really. <laughs> you know, you just and then you realize, really, there's not very much that's going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> How did so, you find it? What was it like for you? Yeah, so I my first experience with medication and, and taking antidepressants, I was 19 years old. So just becoming an adult essentially um i just moved out had a girlfriend things like that uh and just found from what felt like nowhere just i had huge bouts of anxiety um and and depression both came together and anxiety i've talked about a lot and it's still something i um struggle with and have to work on a lot now uh the depression i feel like i've had it under control for quite a long time but essentially i had a little break from the medication for maybe a couple of years at the end of my 20s um but basically i've been taking antidepressants for 15 years now uh and i've tried to you know a couple of different different types do they work do they not i think for me they've certainly helped and it's it's they're part of getting yourself out of that as you said that movie scene where you're on your knees going what have i got to do blah, blah, i need something you need something to break that cycle i found that just the act of reaching out going to the doctors and saying something's not right i need some support here um and in on both occasions i went to the doctors obviously i came off the pills and then went back onto them both occasions it was led by my girlfriend um just sort because I was I don't know I was very much not like I'm scared of going to the doctors or anything it's just oh, I can't be asked I've got stuff to do I want yeah. me to go to work and things like that without having a bit of a push saying right this is not just a that your depression and anxiety doesn't just affect you it affects me as well um hearing girlfriends say that that's what nudged me into doing it and and you know thank god I did do it because it made a big difference and I think certainly after I was doing it, after I started back on the medication, I was like, oh, my God, I forgot what a difference this can make. And it, it's not like you wake up one morning and everything's better again. But it, for me, it just takes the edge off a little bit enough that you can get that right. control back. Uh, I don't know if it, it, it's similar for you. I mean, I think one thing I almost wanted by the time I went and to get the medication from the doctors I was like right this better be just you take the pill and I feel brilliant and it's all sunshine and rainbows from now on but that's not that's not what the medication does at all <laughs> for, for me it just takes that a little bit of an edge off and just gives you back just enough so that you've got control on it and you can work on it um, you still have to look after the other aspects of your life and, and for me I know we talk about it a lot but exercise and diet and alcohol those mm -hmm. things have such a huge effect on on how resilient you are you know yeah. if if i'm drinking too much which you tend to do if you're depressed and you're anxious then it just makes things 10 times worse it's so much more difficult to deal with anything and you start spiraling it gets worse and worse and worse so trying to uh firm up those other aspects of your life looking after your diet and your exercise and and how much alcohol or drugs or whatever you're doing to escape mm. getting that under control i think is is very important uh, for, for dealing with yeah. depression and anxiety go on yes 
I, I wanted to know how it was for you as you, you asked me what it felt like for me to actually mm. be depressed. So my question has two parts. What was your depression like for you? What did it feel like? And also I was quite interested in what your, you, know, you said your girlfriend had said, mm. right, you know, presumably she'd said, I think you should go to the doctors because it's affecting me. And I was wondering how it was affecting your relationship in that way. Mm. So it's, how how depression felt for me is a weird one because it sort of it almost creep crept up on me i don't know if this is normal for everybody but it sort of creeps up and you don't really notice it from one day to the next but uh you look at sort of long periods of time and then you you look back and think i used to have so much more energy than i do or um i used to find things so much more enjoyable than i do that there'd be you could go in the sort of the, the depths of depression nothing is enjoyable everything's boring you don't really want to be with anyone because you've heard you know it's all the same conversations you've heard it all before blah 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 no one understands what it's like to feel like i feel like and so so that was that was how it felt it's, it's that heavy lethargic can't be bothered you know what's what's the point of it sort of thing um it's it's not always necessarily i want to be off this planet i want to kill myself yeah. a lot of it is just 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 apathetic just completely yeah. nothing both really matters there, haven't we you know with this a lack of joy mm. heaviness, boredom yeah I, I i really like that kind of apathy i i learned about apathy quite substantially within uh, my study in scientology mm. it's a condition they actually call it a tone scale condition that when somebody is in apathy i've got a whole list of you know personality conditions where if somebody's in the condition of apathy that's what they will feel like there'll be a lack of joy and it's actually the, their tone scale is measured between sort of like zero numbers you know minus numbers up to 40 and they will actually by what somebody says or their behavior or the way they communicate with you will actually have a number <laughs> so the fact that when you're in apathy somebody will have very low communication so say for instance if somebody wants to invite you out you may not even respond you just mm. can't be bothered you just nothing is of interest and everything mm. yeah you just can't get yourself out of it can you so That's how it. Is the relationship then is it yeah i mean i mean that was one of the the key indicators was that not wanting to go out not wanting to do anything nothing brings you joy so what's the point in doing anything and and you know all of a sudden your, your girlfriend turns around to you and it's like we don't do anything all you want to do at the weekend is just sit on the sofa and watch tv and then go back to work on monday and drink a bottle of whiskey while you're doing it and it's just like mm -hmm. then you take a step back and look at it and go yeah what has happened you know six twelve months ago we were going out regularly we were doing this we we're doing that and and then when i think when you've got depression or any sort of mental illness your brain is brilliant at coming up with other reasons um, <laughs> that, that aren't you need to sort yourself out it'd be like oh no yeah. it's just because we've been in the relationship for a bit longer now so you know, we don't go out every every week we don't have sex every week um and yeah your brain just starts convincing you it's other things uh and yeah i mean that you know so as i said it, it was girlfriends just saying look you've changed things are changing there's something not right 
you know you're feeling down for for me obviously i had the the anxiety that came with it um particularly sort of social anxiety so going out and stuff was you know that was not only did i not want to do it because i couldn't bother and didn't get any joy out of it but i was also very anxious about going out and stuff like that so it was then sort of getting to a point having conversations with with girlfriends and just saying look i shouldn't have to live my life like this i should be able to go out and enjoy myself go out and have a meal go and have fun with friends and stuff down the pub or, or whatever you want to do it's staying at home and just drinking on your own that's not how life is supposed to be lived that's not what it's all about and that's not what i should be doing so that's what what led me to going and getting that help um and i'll be i'll be honest i don't know if it was the same for you but i started to feel better as soon as I made the phone call to say I wanted yeah. to go and see a doctor, because it's almost yeah. like my brain was like, right, we're making progress now. We're going towards um, something. We're not just floundering in this depression. We're yeah. actually putting some effort in to sort this now. So as soon as I made that phone call, I was like, oh, I feel better already. Looking forward to this doctor's appointment, see what they can do. Was that similar case for you? I mean, I know you made the phone call yeah, and you were there that afternoon. I was really lucky to be seen so quickly. You know, I mean, I know a lot more about it now. And I think that, you know, what we what we have is it's not necessarily that we are, you know, depressed or suicidal. It's just that we are we are very unhappy with our current life situation. So, you know, had somebody sat me down and sort of done the the eight sort of point process of, you know, where where all of those dynamics in your life, where are you, what are you doing with them? You know, like your you know, like you're a personal relationship. I didn't have a personal relationship at that time. So that that would be seen as being in apathy itself. You know, you, you have to sort of make all these different dynamics in your life, like your work life, your health, how you treat yourself. All of those things are were plateaued completely on the floor. So no wonder I was going to be feeling crap. Mm. Um, but I was very happy to just get something done about it. Um, and actually one of the girls who was a neighbour worked for uh, Pfizer at the time <laughs> oh yeah um, yeah and I believe if I'm I may be saying this wrong but what they put me on was escitalopram which I believe was one of theirs at the time and um, just the she said you will get an immediate placebo effect so we, I did the placebo was great straight away I was like oh I feel better already and I do remember <laughs> saying that so and she said well just bear in mind it will take a little while so you might find that it'll be two weeks before you really notice a difference yeah um so but I was just quite I just remember being happy that I'd done something about it and that just mm. in itself just made me feel happier what was for for people listening that perhaps are feeling depressed but haven't gone to the doctors yet what was the the process like for you so you obviously made the phone call made the appointment decided it's time to do something I tell you one of the things that I kept putting it off or one of the reasons I kept putting it off was like well I can't go to the doctors because they're only open during the day and I'm at work during the day yeah uh, at some point um and another one that i had i didn't want to be at the doctors and someone i knew walked in and would be like oh, what are you doing here <laughs> what are you here for oh yeah, god what are you here for oh I was just thinking about topping myself in grown toenail perfect there's your excuse you remember that one can't you <laughs> it's all right for us we can just go feminine stuff Oh, oh yeah, all right, you know. Whereas <laughs> now it's even worse because I go menopause and they go, oh no. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you made the point. So what was your your 
the the first appointment with the doctor how did that go um I don't honestly remember that first appointment with the doctor I've got to be honest however I think what's really relevant and very current is not so long ago before I moved into this house so before about a, a year and a half ago I got to the point again where I thought maybe you know I started to doubt oh maybe all my training is letting me down maybe all of my knowledge maybe it's a load of old shit um maybe I do need to try antidepressants again maybe I'm feeling in a really bad place because I need some help again um so I went to the doctors I made like you I, I very rarely go to the, de- the doctors mm. but I made an appointment and I got an appointment quite quickly um and I went to the doctors and I said I'm feeling really crap about life just ran through some things and she she actually said to me right okay I'm just going to do the checklist on you now you know they've got this like 10 point checklist did you know yep. that we did that so they oh you know have you had feelings of suicide have you this that the other da, 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 da. and I was going yes 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 and she said right well you've definitely got depression I think we should prescribe you with antidepressants so I'm going to give you but like then she just took over mm. I didn't have any say in the matter and I walked out with a prescription now there was no she did take my blood pressure Mm. I just thought now it's just shocking how easy it is to go and get antidepressants at the moment it's actually awful (laughs) mine was mine was similar I I went in for the appointment and they had this like quiz uh, and you'd fill it out and it was you get a point score at the end of it so yeah it'd be things like have you had suicidal thoughts and stuff like that and it's every day is five points and no yeah. is, is zero point and you come out with a score and it's 40 something or whatever now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and they're like right well you've scored 42 and anything over 25 is clinically depressed <laughs> uh, okay great right, so we're going to take some action now <laughs> um, and I, I and I was offered two things I was offered medication uh which I took and uh CBT cognitive behavioral therapy uh which I didn't take the first time but I did do the second time alongside the medication as well which I found was very helpful have you got experience with CBT uh yes uh, I'm just smiling because when you when you messaged me in the week and I'm going yes to CBD. Yeah, I know you mentioned this. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to do that because it just makes it's going to make me smile forever now. <laughs> um, cognitive behavioural therapy. So I've only I my only um, experience with cognitive behavioural therapy is as a trainee therapist. As in, I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach, mm-hmm. but that would be. What, what we what we use is the sort of neuro-linguistic programming method yeah. so when you just reintroduce different behaviors but only as a trainee never as an actual uh subject if you know what I mean so as a patient I've not mm. I've not experienced it as a patient my mum has done it um and my mum is still a mess uh, well, I can say from a, a patient point of view, it helped me. Uh, it wasn't same with the medication. It's not like you just do it and it's bang, I'm fixed. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and even when I 
started taking medication you said that you had that sort of like placebo effect quite quickly I didn't have that um and it was almost like that's a mistake isn't it yeah looking forward to this great like some change in life but I almost wanted to like you know in the films when someone's having like a panic attack and then they just pop a pill and like instantly they're like oh that's better I'm fine oh, limitless. limitless is one of my favorite movies yeah. where you can just be a totally different person yeah I was hoping for that that's not how it works it takes a while to get into your system and and then it, it's such a subtle effect there's no sort of point where I was like oh I feel better now it was just all of a sudden you go hmm I'm uh, and this is I guess this is what the doctor does with the point scoring is you go in and you know that okay you scored 42 you go in three months later after having the medication and they do that same thing again and you go in and you're like oh you're on 28 now and it's like without realizing okay my my levels of depression has actually come down quite a lot uh you don't notice it happening on a on a daily basis that's um, really interesting you say that because that i can really empathize with that or certainly hear you on that because my experience, the way I used to describe it, is a bit like Ethan Hunt in uh, Mission Impossible, where he broke into the bank vault. Do you remember? He yeah. went down on a good one. He just he didn't hit the floor. He was about, I don't know, a foot from the floor, literally like that, suspended. Yeah. It was like you almost feel crap, but you don't get to the point where you feel crap. So it's literally just like, you know, that meter or whatever it is off of the ground. It's like, oh, I feel like I can cope a bit better and I haven't hit the floor yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't got that dread, that feeling of, you know, total plummet, you know, where yeah. you lose, I don't know. Yeah, there's, I had a, you know, I've, had a I've had a lot of downsides with it, but um, I, I, I don't, I'm not a proponent of them. I don't advocate them at all, but I think that um, my experience on the whole was, positive apart from when I was on Prozac when I was a complete nuts job <laughs> yeah so I think it's important to yeah it's important to know there are several types of antidepressants and yeah. you need to work with your doctor to find the one that's right for you um can I you can just have, make a, sorry John did what were you going to say I was going to say there's there's all sorts of weird side effects and stuff like that. sometimes you could turn into a crazy woman like you um, <laughs> Nothing changes. <laughs> I, had, I had a really weird one. I used to sweat like twice as much on the first one, and it took me oh. ages to work out what was going on. But it was like as soon as I started taking these pills, uh, I was just a lot sweatier. And I was like, it took me ages to work out the link. And then I was like, oh, that's weird. And then you go to the doctor, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's one of the side effects. Let's you know move no. you on to this. I I'm didn't like, know okay. that. Yeah, I, I think it can... the world's expert. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, good, but now you say it, I because I was doing a lot of ballet, a lot of dancing at the time, and mm. I used to get kind of really worried and concerned. Or even if I was going out, I'd have this kind of twitching on my top lip. I'm still paranoid <laughs> about that now. You'll sometimes see me go like that, even when I don't need to. It's kind of still stayed there with me. I'm always worried about it. Oh my god, I didn't even know that was a. I, I thought it was because I was fat and drank too much that I was just sweating more. <laughs> I can't imagine you fat. Can I just go back to the point where, because being a bit of an anorak and um, I really do, I went I went into it quite substantially. I, I'll make a recommendation for anyone who's going to go out there either considering them or if you've already got them and you're on them, please read the information on your drugs because um, 
whilst all drug companies on their on their little blurb will they'll cover their asses basically so there'll be every single disclaimer under the sunshine uh which will be all of the all of the side effects negative and positive um but i thought it might be quite useful if you when you said about the doctor working with you to find the right one for you did you know that there are only really two types and what they are no maybe i'll try both types then <laughs> break it down <laughs> so, for us so antidepressants i'll try and put this in a nutshell antidepressants are are tablets of two types so there's the serotonin reuptake or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors which are known as ssris or you've got nsris so which is noradrenaline so it's either serotonin or noradrenaline so um basically what they're doing is that I love this. I looked I looked at this and I found out that the NHS doesn't quite know what they do say is hang on, I've got the wording here. What is it? The NHS state, it is not known exactly how they work. <laughs> Good. That's confidence inducing, isn't it? So basically what they are is they are to increase levels of chemicals in the brain. So we already know that there are feel-good chemicals being produced by the brain. But these two types of tablets, which are commonly known, so you've got about five, there's citalopram, escitalopram, fluoxetine, which is commonly known as Prozac, paroxetine and sertraline. I think most of us have probably heard of those. I've been on three types of those. Mm. But they're there to work on serotonin mostly. So the thing that I love, and I think cutting to the chase, the thing that I love about what people don't know about SSRIs is that in order for serotonin reuptake inhibitors to actually be effective, you have to make enough serotonin in the first place. So what's not explained to people when they go to the doctors is if you're on a very, very low mood already, your drug that you're taking to try and increase the serotonin in your body, if you're not really making much serotonin already, you're not really gonna have much of an effect. It'll have a little bit of a positive effect. But one of my favourite facts, <laughs> which is not a fun fact with Sharon, not on Marshall, <laughs> um, but one of the main effects, which is a negative one of an SSRI, is it actually depletes serotonin in the body right. for absorption into your platelets to get around the body. So it's actually quite, of a ne it can have a lot of negativity on the body, which is why some people sometimes feel worse, like a mm. lot worse. People say, I don't know. I, I, I'm not feeling any better. I've got a friend, a very close friend at the moment. She's been on them for four weeks mm -hmm. and she looks as depressed. If not, you know, she's not getting any benefits. I said, how are you, how are you doing on the tablets? And she's like, mate, I don't, I'm not feeling any better. I'm like, okay, well, you know, and I've said, do you realize that you need to be working on things that make you feel good? You know, you know, we can talk in a bit about how you create serotonin in the body naturally but she's not doing any of those things. Mm. And therefore your body's got a long way to go to try and increase a little bit by itself by the introduction of the tablet. And then the tablet, once the serotonin is made in your body, is then got to try and keep it and hold it around your body for it to be used by the brain and, and the chemicals to be able to process it into joyful feelings, which is pretty hard work for it if you're already very, very depressed, you know? I hope I think, that- Yeah. I think I think that's um, a very important fact, and it's something that 
I only recently started to figure out, and that's that the pills aren't magic. You don't just take them and feel better. You have to work on the other aspects of your life as well. Uh, And that is diet, exercise, controlling your alcohol, not taking drugs. It's, uh, and we've talked about it before, but your mental health is is like your physical health it's not something you can just complete and just you're sorted and there you go I'm happy forever you have to constantly work on it the same way that you work on your physical health uh and it took me a long long time to realize that I can't just expect these pills to do everything for me you have to take it into your own hands as well and for me that started with doing the CBT therapy uh, and that worked well but yeah that sort of as you said it helps reprogram the way you approach things how you think about things but you can't just do eight sessions of that on the NHS and think that you're fixed you need to keep Mm -hmm. working and and, uh, I think antidepressants and going to the doctors is is the start of it of the journey Mm. Um, you made such a good point there as well you know um, about CBT because an antidepressant should really only be seen as a short-term thing. I think if anybody's going to make the decision to use them, mm. just, to, just to kind of feel like, you know, however we want to feel it, just because it, it, it does numb you out. That's mm. the whole point. It does, you know, it deadens the brain in certain ways um, so that you can actually just feel a certain deadness to your, your pain. They, you know, they are used in a lot of ways for painkillers uh, for some people. Um, but de- antidepressants are not a cure for depression. No. They're they're really an, a, a band aid. <laughs> yeah, you've got, to find, you've got to find out what the cause of the depression is, or the or in my the way I like to think about it is the suppression. You know what what is the suppression that's causing your depression? Mm-hmm. So really, it should be seen as a short term thing. Yeah, and, f- and for me, as I said, that the pills took the edge off. Gave, and which gave me enough headspace to start working things out, start working through the depression. Um, if before the pills, you know, I'm in this hole, everything's on top of me, I don't know what I'm doing, just get into the next day is all I can manage. Mm-hmm. Take the pills, that took the edge off, and it's like, right, okay, I can see a little bit now. Let's start taking the next step and let's start tackling this. That's, that's, what they did for me and uh, I think it's important for people to know that you're not going to take these pills and and be fixed there's there's work to do Um, but that that first step of going to the doctor and taking the pills you will you know that's that's massive um taking that step was your girlfriend supportive did she notice the difference and it was encouraging and that it improved the relationship or yeah definitely because you know it's slow work don't get me wrong um but you start celebrating those little milestones and start celebrating what what you're doing and that you that you're moving in the right direction uh and six months down the line you can be completely unrecognizable to what you were uh Mm. you know if if you're focused on it and and you want to make it happen um should we talk a little bit about the difference between how many women are on antidepressants and how many <laughs> men 
or antidepressants and yeah is there I a really sort of stigma around taking them i i don't know what you guys think about but i i think that there is more commonly known that women will be on them would you agree yeah and certainly a quick so. google we had didn't we would suggest that we couldn't find an up-to-date number but certainly, what, what was that? What was that year? Was it 2014? It's quite a long time ago, wasn't it? Between yeah, 2020. It was. It was double. So basically, I think it was about 5.5 percent of the population, presumably of the world, are on them. The men, I don't know, or probably it's usually the, the United States. Yeah. But but double. So the double the amount of women are on them. Now I'm wondering actually whether something is to do with, uh, you know, postnatal, postnatal depression is quite acute, really. So I'm quite just possibly. wondering if that might be something to do with it. Um, I think I think women are generally better at talking to people, going to the doctors, that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, I don't know if it's like there's a stigma against taking antidepressants, and that why that's why men don't do it, or whether men are just typically just try and crack on with things and don't mm. go to the doctors at all um you know unless your arm's falling off then you know, <laughs> you're, you're still going to go to work <laughs> well I spoke to a guy recently um again just somebody I know through Costa as a, a long-term customer he's now well and truly retired mm. and uh, I, I mentioned about my work and wanting to make more of the he used to be in the construction industry um and he actually said the typical old line, well, basically, Sharon, I think people need to just suck it up and deal with it. Mm. You know, and he was he used to be a site foreman. So you can imagine, can't you? You'd get people like that who are, if you've got somebody like that, he's like, well, basically, if there's something wrong with you, you just go and find the answer. Mm. Well, sometimes people want the answer and you know, need a tablet in order to ease their pain whilst they're doing that, you know. So I think. I do think that men are more open-minded to it, and I certainly meet more men who are taking antidepressants. And whilst I don't think anybody really likes it, I think I still think there's a stigma for the women who take it. But yes, mm. I think that we are more readily admitting to it. I think. Yeah, I think we're getting a lot better. I mean, I, I remember when I first started taking them, I would not tell anyone. No way would I tell anyone that I was on this medication. Um, for me, it was just that has to be kept a complete secret. I don't want anyone thinking I'm mental. I don't want anyone taking pity on me, all sorts of things. Um, and I don't know if it's partly the way sort of society's moving um, and being more accepting of mental health and taking medication and stuff like that. And also mm. at the same time, me as a person, I'm growing, I'm more confident, I'm more happy to talk about this sort of thing. And that's something as for me has only happened in the last few years. But you know, it's yeah, it's probably only now in the last couple of years that I'll be happy enough to tell my friends and family that I'll be if I'm taking antidepressants or not. Um it's an incredibly brave thing to do for that reason, you know, because I think men are seen to be we have to be seen as strong characters and we don't mm. need anything like that. But you know, if you look back, you know, I, I, I which I'd like it. For it to be another podcast basically but if you look at things like you know um the use of peyote for native american tribes this is a drug you know it's it's good for uh, mood um constant so you know or you then you get the high and then it makes you feel good afterwards 
mm. you know they go on trips they literally go on these is this is a hallucinogen um psychedelic so you know, there are there are the use of drugs or certainly some form of um you know a testosterone building kind of a euphoria type drug or you know, uh, alcohol, maybe in medieval times, you know, drink mead, there was always something, you know, you, you know, men have had to deal with a lot over the years, you know, going into battle, mm. you know, you can't say, oh, you know, I'm really scared about going and killing people and potentially getting killed myself, you know, so I think to be able to do that without anything is pretty amazing. So for us to now talk about being reliant or what we perceive as reliant on a tablet, I don't think should be seen as weak in any, in any shape or form. No, and you, you could almost flip it round. Um, I, I could say that 10 years ago, I wasn't strong enough or brave enough to tell people that I was on antidepressants. Now I am a stronger, braver person. I can. Mm -hmm. So, look, I mean... And what does that I, come down to, though? I don't know. I guess I just... I, I've, I've found over the last few years it's crazy how once I start talking and opening up about things like whether it's medication how I feel and everything like that it is crazy how often I'll say something to a friend and he'll just turn around and go fucking hell I've been feeling like that for years as well <laughs> why, yeah. why, why have you only just mentioned it's this true. it's like all, all these things as blokes you just you never talk about it um but as soon as you do you'll realize how many of your mates have been in exactly the yeah. same situation or understand it. And, and then you, you immediately get this, it just lifts this burden off. I mean, yeah. just doing this podcast, I have people reaching out to me all the time and it's like, yeah. fucking hell, you see this, you know, big hairy mm. skinhead bloke coming at you talking about how he's been through the same things. I'm like, it is, you know, it's everyone. Yeah. It's so, it's so common I was working um, in a place recently and the guy was Dench. Um, he's he's 56. Uh, and I just had a chat. I was like, obviously, you work out, this, that, and the other, you know, just over the kettle, as it were. Mm -hmm. And um, just having a chat about gym, da, 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 da. And I said, oh, you know, this is my intention. You want to bring more mental, good mental health awareness to the construction industry, blah, 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 because everybody has their thing that they're dealing with. And he just looked at me and went, everybody has got their thing. Mm -hmm. Believe me. He said, you know, like I've had my struggles as well. And like you say, this guy was enormous, like proper dench. And I was like, I said, oh, my God, that's such a lovely share. I, I don't mm. know you at all. And he was there standing in front of a woman saying, I've had my mental health struggles as well, mate. You know, so and I was mm. like, wow, this is great. You know, so it's really <laughs> nice to see that we can get some changes going. No, definitely. I think it's, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to talk about it, you, you, you'll be surprised how open people are once you start the conversation isn't it for everybody yeah if you start that conversation with this is where my head's at almost anyone you speak to will will then open up to you and start talking mm -hmm. about it as well because it's almost certainly that they've had something these stats are always going around i don't know it's one in three or one in two people will suffer mental health issues during their lifetime I, I think yeah. realistically it's bloody everyone everyone will in some form or another yes. um I love my own theory is that if anyone stands in front of you and says I don't need self-help 
my mental health is absolutely fine i i can just see that i see it straight away i'm like you're lying yeah literally and it's like with a very short within a very short interaction just by the things they say or because of the amount of training that i've done um i can see straight away like the way they'll communicate with me or the way they won't actually look me in the eye or little things it's just little telltales like sherlock holmes i will see i know what their tone level is and i'll know what is going on for them you know so it's really interesting i'll be like mm-hmm okay <laughs> they're, they're they're the blokes on a on a night out where at the start they're absolutely sending beers and shots and everything like that and at the end of the night they're crying because their wife left them <laughs> it's like come on steve you'll be all right let's talk about this shall we <laughs> or up on the dance floor with their shirt off you're like mm, okay yeah. so is that normal behavior just <laughs> me in the middle of a nightclub no <laughs> um let's talk about uh sort of a, the last phase of it for me is is coming off medication um Ooh, yeah i've okay. done it once i didn't do it properly i think the um, <laughs> i think the official line that we need to put in is that you shouldn't just come off on your own you need to talk to your doctor and have a plan for it and that, let them guide you through it Karen and john then because <laughs> we both did it didn't we well, I just no, came off them because your journey was like. Yeah, I think so. Once a year, or once every six months, I think it's once a year. You'll have to have like a, a reassessment. Your doctor will say you need to come in and have a chat with me before I'll let you have your prescription again and renew it for another twelve months. Uh, and they said that I couldn't be asked to go, and I didn't go, <laughs> so I just stopped taking them. <laughs> um, just says a lot was, about our health service though doesn't it because you know that you either can't get the appointment yeah dead before they'll see you or you just know what kind of appointment you're going to get yeah um in fact the last time i had one of these things was uh not long back and it was oh you need to make an appointment okay do i have to come in or should i do it over the phone because bear in mind covid's still a thing at this point they're like oh no we could do it over the phone so, all right, okay, they're going to call you in this time. Obviously, then they don't call you at that time. And then you ring up and go, well, I need my prescription. And they're like, well, you missed the call, didn't you? Oh, well, oh, they didn't. God, yeah, running out of your prescription is a bit. Yeah, and they're like. That before. And you're like, shit, three <laughs> days without my, 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 oh, my God, it's really quite, yeah. It's yeah. So then you don't get them and you go, right, well, we need to re rebook an appointment. Okay. And then this time they called and uh, I missed the call by about five seconds and then as i was calling back they left a voicemail just saying yeah i've had a look you can have your pills again and i was like we've no. been through all of this for you to just not even talk to me and just say i can have that your pills again shocking. but um, you know i right i'm just gonna put it out there and you guys can think what you like about me because we're all allowed to have our opinion but let's just think about this so mental health the, the demise of our mental health, our good mental health, is basically single-handedly supporting the NHS. If you have a look at how much Pfizer and Azkenabel make from the population of mental health drugs, SSRIs, and any form of antidepressant, it, it makes up the majority of their income. So um, it's, the statistics are all out there for you to easily Google. Can you imagine what would happen 
there would be, it, we would implode as a race if we, or certainly they, they would go out of business. If they didn't, if people, if doctors didn't willingly describe antidepressants, probably the NHS would falter substantially. I'm not even just saying a little bit. Mm. If tomorrow good mental health was a thing and none of us had depression, just have a little think about that would be catastrophic for all drug companies. Every single yeah. So if you just is is you can find yourself going a right rabbit hole with this. I feel like I'm doing my bit for society now. <laughs> you actually are. I'm propping up the <laughs> NHS with my poor mental health. But now I, I you know again I, I do mention Scientology a, a fair amount um and you can all have your own opinions about that but part, one of the things I actually love about it is Narconon is that they get people off of antidepressants and it's it's a conspiracy really you know what they're doing is to try and is trying to uh, build people's uh, real realization really the reality of the fact that the mind control drugs are the thing that are called, it's the biggest business in the world is antidepressants, mental health drugs. So can you imagine what would happen if all of a sudden they didn't have to make them? Mm. So yeah, it's kind of scary when you think about it. So this is why it's so easy to get them because anybody working with the NHS knows that, you know, it's a bit like you being a salesperson, John. You're targeted on the amount of drugs you push out the door or how many sales you make. If you've got your, if you've got your uh, practice who, you know, um, as as Bell, um, not as kind of Bell, but um, the pharmaceutical companies, if they say, "Oh, hang on a second, we we we, uh, it's dropped. What, what's happening with the numbers on this? You know, escitalopram's down at the moment. Now, escitalopram, by the way, is a very expensive SSRI, so they don't tend to push that one. They give you citalopram instead because it's cheaper. That's um, <laughs> yeah, so I I. I, I came away from the doctors once with citalopram and I phoned them up and I said, I've got the wrong drug. They'd give me the wrong thing. And they said, oh, well, it's pretty much the same. It's kind of similar. But I was having all sorts of side effects. I was feeling sick. I was having headaches. And, uh, and they said, well, we didn't really want to give you that one. He actually said, because it's twice the price, by the way. Yeah. So anyway, but <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Um, as to what will happen. In that case, I forgot where I was going with that, but I just wanted everyone to know that, you know, really, that's that's why it's so easy to get a hold of the drugs. Yeah, you've run you've run us off track again. We love a we love a sorry. It was how do you properly how do you properly come off? How do you properly come off? They're targeted. If they haven't, if they're down on their numbers there's a problem that's why they've got to keep pushing them out to people that's why it's so easy to get them so how do you come off the pills once you're on them right number um, one I talk went, to your doctor i went cold turkey yeah i, thought you were, I think you're supposed weeks. to phase them out aren't you it's supposed to be very very gradual so yeah. you must you must go to your doctor because they will actually i think um you know you might get a 30 milligram tablet and now they might so if they if your tablet has got an indentation in the middle mm. you can cut it in half mm. but like the smart ass i thought i was mine didn't and i started to cut them in half and i did that i did it within about two weeks because i was told that in order to do a certain course or have a certain therapy i needed to not be on them because they might they literally are a mind-altering drug 
so I had to come off of them and I was pretty damn I know really wanted to go and do this this therapy so I just came off it (laughs) but I like had the bends and I was literally sometimes I felt like my head was being shaken and it's you know my brain was being shaken in my skull it felt awful sometimes I get that even now really yeah that, that, so we, that was the worst effect for me I literally felt like my brain was being shaken inside my skull I'd be walking along and I thought oh my god did I just put my foot down a down a hole no it was absolutely fine so it literally was like what I imagine the bends to be like I'm not a diver but what I imagine the bends to be like my brain just felt like I was being tipped upside down in a bucket or something you know just awful um I think I got quite lucky I think I sort of unconsciously sort of phased them out I think just by not paying much attention and every couple of days I'd be like oh I haven't taken a pill I'll uh, take one now and then <laughs> that's thought, what they say too don't they like take them every other day yeah I think that's the way to do it. I think definitely you need to talk it. to your doctor a um, long time yeah do it do it properly because otherwise there will be side effects and yeah you need to try and avoid those um before we finish up then um there's a couple of things that have just popped into my head that people might want to know and one of the first things my doctor told me about going on to this medication or all antidepressants is you shouldn't be drinking alcohol you should be looking after yourself you can't do this you can't do that um and i think we should the official line is you shouldn't mix them with alcohol and any other drugs um but I can say in my personal experience, drinking alcohol whilst on antidepressants had no real effect for me. So I don't know if the you've got... The reason I'd say not to mix alcohol um, is that it's mood altering in itself. Mm. Um, there is, there is you know, search, research your own facts on this, but some people are good responders to alcohol. Um and it's a real thing um, where, say, a friend of mine reacts very well to a dose of alcohol. Like within a very short space of time, she becomes the life and soul of the party in a nice way. Mm. Um, but however, there will be she will then plummet, and it will be after about an hour when it starts wearing off, she gets a very in a very low mood. Mm. I I just like I, I like the taste of it. It gives me a little bit of a. It actually releases tension down the back of my neck. I find it very beneficial to have a glass of wine. I can't stomach too much of it. It does actually make me feel quite ill quite quickly. Mm. I'm usually the designated driver. I'm quite happy to drive. That's the reason why they say don't mix. No, that makes sense. I mean, ultimately, alcohol is a depressant, isn't it? So it's you're, yeah. t- you're taking a depressant and mm. an antidepressant, so it sort of doesn't yeah, make a lot of sense. Great drug. I mean, I'm. I do you know what? I'm. I'm looking into all sorts of alternatives. I'm looking into psychedelics. Uh, I'd like us to cover that at some point. I think that there are massive benefits to psychedelic treatments. NHS are also doing um, a lot of trials at the moment with psilocybin, which I think is really well worth looking into. Um, Do you want to just talk about it or do you want to do the podcast whilst we've taken psychedelics? (laughs) Well, don't knock it because I'm hopefully going to be booking a psilocybin retreat soon so I can I can I could actually do stuff while we're there which would be awesome that's going to be some planning will need to take place but there are a couple of things where you're going to look at have you had some negative um reactions on the jump because there are a couple of things I can just run through because I do think this is a really big subject so uh, obviously I don't want to keep you for too long but I do think it's really important that some of these things are mentioned that people might not have considered 
go on yeah i'd like to find out your some of them you may not wish to to disclose but basically one of the biggest factors which i know a friend of a friend is is saying a lot about at the moment is that they reduce her sex drive okay so um i i can't confirm either way i actually don't remember i didn't have a partner at the time so i wasn't really that you know i wasn't a regular yeah. brand summers either <laughs> so um i'm not suggesting that you tell us your personal experience but have you heard through the grapevine uh, is there anyone out there having this kind of i don't know I, I guess it's difficult to say i mean my immediate reaction is no it didn't have any effect on my sex drive and i'm still a pest um just asked my sharon but um but then i think moralizing well, that we want it all the time <laughs> it's, it's difficult to measure isn't it because i've been on antidepressants for so long i don't really know what i what my sex drive would have been like if i hadn't been on them for oh, the last 15 years uh certainly doesn't cause any issues for me um i guess it's just one of those side effects that certain people might get and i would then yeah work with your doctor and try one yeah. of the others try one of the other pills if if that happens mm. um because I, I did on my research see that, that some some men's libido never bounces back um and oh, what wow. they're actually yeah uh they're actually more and more increasingly prescribing it for premature ejaculation oh. in some cases yeah which I thought was really interesting and erectile dysfunction. Obviously everything, the reason I wanted to just mention some of these things is that whilst people might be, they may not have read the um, information sheet that comes mm. with it, and they may also not want to go to the doctor about it or speak to their partner about it. So I think if you are experiencing a loss of libido, um, erectile dysfunction, anything like that, I think just go and have a chat with your doctor. Mm. it's difficult to measure because i think i think one of the side effects of real depression is a lack of interest in sex anyway that could be mm. you know that could be having a big effect on your libido Can so. I tell you a fun fact? this is a fun fact go on in order to increase your so one of the best things about um in, in is is raising the one of the good chemicals in your body or, or certainly two of them um which is the endorphins in the brain is to have more sex <laughs> so hug more which is uh, oxytocin inducing which is very good they call it the hug chemical so if you hug someone really tightly if you're you are hugged um i like to be very specific with who gives me massive hugs um because <laughs> <laughs> um, um, i'm a bit funny with my personal space so you're one of the lucky ones if he gets a shaz hugged so, yeah. um, but, um i like dave to hug me for a long time like i find it very uh very oxytocin inducing like i find his hugs i'm like a flower if i don't get them every other day i start wilting <laughs> so um yeah so they're really good and and funnily enough it will although it may be the last thing that you feel like doing i've done a lot of research that having sex basically is going to increase the connection in your relationship it's going to increase the serotonin and the dopamine in your body and around your brain so whilst it might feel like the last thing you really want to do, I would really encourage you to, to just try and have that connection with your partner, build the connection, even if she's a little bit off. I've got some techniques, actually, that are not even sexual for you to, 
if anyone wants to reach out, I've just read this fantastic book. Can I make a quick book recommendation on this? Uh -huh. The Way of the Superior Man. I think you and I have both spoken about it by David Dada. Basically, he talks about even if she's in a raging mood, you just basically you just grab her and give her a big hug, which is really, really a lot of the times women just want a big hug. And just even if you fake it, just to fake that it's fake love, you know, and it's going to make you feel better because eventually she'll give in and go, oh, do you know what? It's like a puppy that's fighting you. Eventually it'll give in a little bit. Actually, you'll quite like the kind of attention and stuff like that, you know. And it's good for both of you. And then it will hopefully also uh, increase the serotonin and the dopamine and the oxytocin around your brain. It's just going to be so much better for you than a tablet form. Good advice. Any any excuse to have more sex, I'm happy. <laughs> I said hugs to John, not just the sex. But yeah, oh, no. Okay, all right then. Because, <laughs> you know, all men, you guys might not have thought about this in basic terms, but all guys are looking for freedom. That is the most important thing to a man is freedom from something. So when you're when you guys have more sex, you're getting a release. So there's a release from the tension, a build up of you know all of those layers of tension. All the you know people are moaning at you, expecting stuff from you, expectation, bills, you know hiding stuff from your life, you know hiding from your friends how you're feeling, all your feelings, your emotions. You're wanting freedom from something your wife, your girlfriend, you know, freedom. So that release in itself is going to increase all of that, that dopamine rush that you get. That's why you feel absolutely amazingly cathartic after sex. You feel so good. You feel like you can take on the world, but also fall asleep immediately, you know, <laughs> which is, and don't let her tell you off for that, because if you read David Dader's Way of the Superior Man, or even better, listen to it through audible you'll understand why and you can actually say to her waving one finger <laughs> well david Dave, data says and i you know i am now a superior man that's perfectly normal for a guy <laughs> when she would say by the way are we going to do the landscape gardening this weekend oh i've seen a nice little fence i want to put up and around that border and that's some nice little plants you're like whatever <laughs> <laughs> perfect any other questions on your list no, because we kind of got oh, loss of appetite was one I was going to ask you about. That's apparently quite big. Hmm. Did you have a loss of appetite? No, I was quite overweight at the time. So I could have done with when I started taking pills. A loss of appetite might have been good. But no, it's not something that affected me. Um, I could see how, how it would, obviously. And, and depression in itself uh, gives a lot of people a loss of appetite. Mm. but no not not something that affected yeah. me I still struggle with that now sometimes I can feel myself slipping back into those old ways which actually was why I kept my weight on and now I eat more I'm mm. thinner which is ironic <laughs> all right perfect Sharon Norton Marshall it's been an absolute pleasure as always thank you so much it's been the same for me I think based on the last few lines of that conversation I know you're Desperate to do a, a podcast on sex at some point, so I think that will probably I, I, be one of the next ones. Something. It's one of my favourite subjects, and I, 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 my son's not in the house right now, but sometimes he'll come to me and say, right, I've got a question, and I'm like, <laughs> and he'll say, and I'm like, great, it's my favourite subject. <laughs> are you that embarrassing are, mum? <laughs> I am not embarrassed at all to talk about sex. 
but I tend to embarrass other people. I appreciate that. <laughs> and if anybody wants any sex therapy, anything like that, I'm 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 your girl. I'm not going to give it. I'm just going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to get a lot of messages now. <laughs> Whoops. Oops. Sharon, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we shall speak to you soon. I look forward to talking about psychedelics soon. <laughs> <laughs> See you soon.